Father loves us, doesn't he? Loves us a whole lot. Well, it, today's message is going to be centered around the last section of chapter 4 of 1 Corinthians. And it's a fantastic chapter because it really shows us the heart of Paul, that parental care that he has for his children, for those in the church in Corinth. But before we get started, um, I'd like to ask uh, some of the children in the audience here if they would volunteer to come up and fill some of these empty seats. And if I find an empty seat, I'm going to call on somebody. <laughs> oh, are you volunteering? <laughs> come on up, kids. Okay. Well, I have three seats. Uh, David, come on up front. Oh, Hannah. See, you're never too old. You're still a kid to me. <laughs> Nick. <laughs> you were looking at me like, please ask me to come up. Okay, I'm going to ask a question of each one. I'm going to ask one question, and then I'd like to get a response from each one of you and see what kind of answers we get. Now, feel free to say anything you like, okay, that answers the question. Okay, you ready? Okay, here we go. How do you children know that your dads love you and your moms love you? How do you know that? Tell me how you know. Go ahead, just pass it around. Because they say it all the time. They say it all the time, okay. Because they take care of us. They take care of you, very good. Because they give us food. Okay, good. <laughs> they spend time with us. Okay, good. They wake me up in the morning. They wake up. Boy, I can relate to that. <laughs> They show it through their actions. Okay. <laughs> My parents. <laughs> Such unconditional love. You guys, um, a lot of you would know I was not the best kid growing up. <laughs> Um, but man, my parents, my whole life, 25 years, they've shown the most unconditional love for me and my wife, and my sisters. Um, can't thank the Lord enough for, for my parents. Amen. Okay, very good. Last question. Is there any doubt in your mind that your parents don't love you? Nick, any doubt? Well, they let me still live with them, so oh. <laughs> I don't think so. That's good, very good. No, there's no doubt in my mind. And why is that? Just every day they show me that they care for me, just um, they wake up in the morning and uh, have things ready for me. They constantly do things for me just to show that they care so much about me so very good yeah. no doubt no doubt when why um because i've done a lot of bad things and they still like me they still love you okay good uh no there's no doubt no. and why is there no doubt on your mind um because they still take care of me they still take care of you okay no, there's no doubt. And why? See, I'm not going to let you off the hook with an easy answer. Know. You don't know? <laughs> okay. No, there's no doubt. Why? Because... What do, they, what do they do to show you that there's no doubt in your mind that they love you and care for you? They take care of us and they spend time with us. Okay. Okay, very good. Oh, there's no doubt? No doubt. Why? Because they say it all the time. They say it. And what, how do they show it through their actions? 
Because they say it all the time. Yeah, and is there, do you see it in their actions? Yes. How? Um, um, I don't know. Okay. The fact that you have clothes shows they love you. Okay, very good. Thank you very much. Let's all give them a good hand. Well, as a parent, there's no doubt that you love your kids, right? No doubt about it. And they know. And they know. And I wanted to kind of bring that out because, you know, even though that we're going to be going to 1 Corinthians chapter 4 here, and we're going to talk about Paul, um, times haven't changed. You know, Paul loved the saints in Corinth. There was no doubt about it in his mind. So we're going to take a look at this a little deeper. Now, as we look at chapter 4, for those that have just joined us uh, today, in chapter 4, um, we see that Paul, he, he must reassert his authority um, as an apostle over the church so that he can deal with the many problems that occurred there. Um, there was issues with false teachers, immature believers, there were discipline issues in the church that needed to be dealt with. And he must deal with these issues without counteracting what he had said about the value of the work, for instance, in Apollos. Needed to be very careful there. And also, in the chapter, Paul asserts his special authority by reminding them of the role he played as in their spiritual life. Paul is their spiritual father. And as a father, he desires that they mature, that they grow, and be productive followers of Jesus Christ. Just like as we saw in your children here. What is your desire of your children? Isn't the desire that you have for them is to mature and to grow and to be productive citizens of society and also come to know and love the Lord and follow him? Isn't that your desire? So see, you, still, you have the heart of Paul. And Paul had that heart, and he really shows us that side of him in, in this chapter. Let's see. Let me get set up here on the slide deck here. So I don't know if you can see that. Everybody see that okay? All right. I can see it's a little bit further, and my eyes are a little dimmer than maybe the rest of you. Um, just a quick review as we go through chapter 4 again. So we look at verses 1 through 5. It, it really focused on Christian leaders in the church. And Paul reminds them of the role of the, the leaders in the church, uh, that they were stewards and servants of the mysteries of God. And here he was recognizing, you know, wanted people to recognize that the leaders... The evangelists, the pastors, the teachers there in the church were all God-given servants. And it was for the benefit of the whole church, not just a few, but for the whole. That's a key word, for the whole. Now we see that stewards hold the truths of New Testament mysteries that had not been known in previous ages. We have the mystery of the gospel today. That's the mystery revealed in the New Testament and the wondrous truth that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. What a message. That's the gospel. Also from this section, servants are required to be faithful. Don mentioned that last week. Servants are to be faithful and true to the word. We see that the purpose of a steward of Christ is to open up the truth of God and unfold and make known the mysteries of God. To make known the truths that God wants us to place in our hearts and to live by it. And then Paul closes this section to exhort the stewards to be careful of their appraisal of Christian service and the motives of the heart because we don't know the motives of the heart. Only God knows. He will be the judge. The only competent judge is the Lord. And then in verses 
uh, 6 through 13. Okay, we're having any trouble here, Luke. It's not going to the next slide. We have a technical difficulty. Do we have any IT people in here? There we go. All right. Thank you, Luke. Did you, did you do that, or did I do it? Okay, very good. All right, thank you. So in 6 to 13, this section dealt with issues in the church. We saw that in this section, they were inflated with pride. The church had pride in favor of one person over another. And they also lived as if the new age is already here, that the Lord had already returned and set up his kingdom. They also acted in worldly wisdom as if they are wise and superior. But in contrast, Paul states in God's economy, weakness is strength. And in the suffering Savior, one finds a model for Christian life. We also see that they courted the world's wisdom. But Paul was hated by the world and went so far as to call himself scum of the earth. The world's garbage. They live like the world, accepting the world's standards and courting the world's honors. I think we're froze again. I'll just let you know on the next slide. Next slide. Okay. Now we're in verses 14 to 21. This is the main subject this morning. This last section, Paul asserts his special authority and parental care. And this is where we really see the heart of, of Paul, by reminding the church of the role he played in their spiritual life. He had a major role in their life. And the reason why is because he was their spiritual father. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Has anyone in here led anybody to the Lord? Okay. Do you feel an obligation to be like a spiritual father to that individual? You never forget them. Doesn't matter how many years ago it occurred, but they're always on your mind. If they're far away from you, you always think, how are they doing? Or you see them on Facebook, you get a phone call, you call them up. How's your spiritual life? Don't you always care about how they were walking with the Lord? And when they're not walking with the Lord, what does it do? It burdens your heart just as if your own children are not being obedient to you. Does it not burden you? Does it not tear you up inside when your children aren't walking in close fellowship with you? Well, the same thing was with Paul. He had a burden for the saints. And as their spiritual father in this section, he gives warnings about the visions and being led away by false teaching and practices. Now, doesn't your antenna go up when your kids come home and they have some thing they may have learned from their school friends or they're friends in the neighborhood, and they come up with this wild story about maybe who God is. And you begin to question, wow, where did they learn that from? You care about that. The antenna go up. And that's the way it was with Paul in Corinth. His antenna went up. The sirens went off and said, there's something wrong here. Just like you as parents. The sirens go off, Right? Well, you know what? For all you parents that are in this room today, is parenting an easy job today? No, it's not. You know, we were in Disneyland this past week, and it's interesting to see all the young families there. And you can tell there's so many young families there because it's like Strollerland. It's not Disneyland. It's called Strollerland to me. Strollers everywhere, right? They're coming out of the woodwork, out of the bushes. 
Um, it's like a nightmare sometimes. You wait, ah, another stroller coming after me. But a lot of young families there. And it's interesting how you see all kinds of different parenting going on there. You see some kids, man, they're just total line. Dad says something, kids stand up to attention. I saw one, I don't know if you saw it, Kathy, when we were standing there watching the parade, and there was this, these parents just a few steps away from us, and the kid didn't want to do something. All of a sudden, he let out this howl. He sounded like a coyote. I mean, he let it blast out. I mean, it hurt my ears, and I was quite a ways away from him. And I said, oh, man, this kid's trying to blackmail his parents. Hey, it worked. <laughs> they caved into it. So there's all kinds of parenting going on there. But they didn't say anything. But Paul, man, he gets right in there. He's not afraid to deal with the issues at hand because he wanted it corrected. He wanted to see them go on in their life, mature in Christ, just like you do with your kids. When you see your children do something that's not quite right and they haven't sinned yet, but you know they're kind of tempting to looking at you and going like this and you told them not to go over there but they just keep getting a little bit closer you give them a warning don't you don't you give them warnings yeah Paul is doing the same thing here he's warning those in the church and so as a parent here on this earth you you want to see your kids grow and mature spiritually morally and ethically and you want your kids to practice what you teach them, and they want to see it in your life. Okay? And I've heard this later on in, in older children whose parents say, do this, but yet their parents live a different way, way of life. And then they come back at them and say, hey, you don't live like that. Why are you telling me to live like that? double standard so parents practice what you preach and Paul's getting there too in this message he wants the saints to practice how he lives and we'll get into that a little bit deeper and the thing too you want to model and teach Christian values and you want to guard your children against the influences of secular society man look at what's coming at the kids today I mean, the media, the, what's coming at their brains. I mean, there's an overload in the brain today of information, isn't there? I mean, even for me, and I'm an IT, an IT person, and I, sometimes I get overloaded with information. But just think the kids are getting bombarded by this stuff constantly. Bam, 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 bam. Cell phones, tablets, computers, you know, toys, lots of stuff, TV, radio. A lot of stuff coming in here. But God, you know, he's interested in the heart, not just behavior. And that's what Paul is addressing here, too. He's interested in the heart of the saints so that they may change their behavior. Well, parenting is hard work, isn't it? Parenting is hard work. Here's a few things that you can ask me for this slide later on and put it up on your refrigerator as a reminder that parenting is hard work. Are you up to the challenge? I, I, I'll challenge you right here. Are you up to that challenge today, folks? In the busyness of life, are you up to that challenge? Well, you know what? Paul was up to the challenge. Man, he didn't, he didn't shake his responsibility because you know what? Just like these kids all said how much they loved their parents. They told you the reasons why they love their parents. Hey, Paul was the same way. He loved those, he loved the children that he saved. That, now, he didn't save, but he led them to the Lord. He had a heart for them. Let's take a look at the verses this morning. And may God bless the reading of this word this morning, and may he move in your hearts today as a result of these verses. Paul starts out in verse 14. I do not write these things to shame you, 
But as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, for who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now some are puffed up, as though we're not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly. If the Lord wills, and I will know, not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And I like this last verse. It's very interesting. It's quite a challenge. It says, what do you want? Should I come to you with a rod or in love or in the spirit of gentleness? Well, in verse, verse 14, as he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. Can you relate to that with your own children as parents? I warn you. And when he says to shame you, you know, he's saying, you Corinthians, you ought to, should be blushing because of the way you're acting in the church. You should see how far you've departed from the truth, from Christ's intentions. But it's not the shame that Paul intends, but to warn here. That's the whole idea, to warn. The word means to admonish. Have you heard that word before? Been admonished? I'm sure you've done that with your children. Have you parents admonished your children? You're probably very familiar with the word, aren't you? The whole idea of admonishment is the hope that your children will see the error of their ways and change. Right? You want to see them change. And this is Paul's heart, too. He wanted to see them change. He wanted to reveal to them what's in their heart, their practices, and to have a desire to change. The aim here at Paul is like firing an arrow into their heart, into their mind, and, and to bring truth in the minds and let them see what they really are. as contrasted with what they imagine themselves to be. You can relate to that, can't you? You admonish your child and you say, son, don't do that. Well, dad, I'm not doing anything. Uh, son, I saw you. I didn't do anything, dad. See, they have this idea that everything is okay. But dad knows better. It's interesting, when kids grow up, they finally learn. Yeah, I wasn't as smart as my dad when I was at that age. <laughs> well, sin had spread in the church and inflated them into a false spirituality, so Paul found it necessary to warn them, to wake them up out of this spiritual stupor that they were in, saying, hey, this is what you're really like, gang. Change. In verse 15... Like, for though you might have 10,000 instructors, that's an interesting statement, isn't it? 10,000 instructors. How many instructors do your kids have? How many instructors do you have today? Who are you listening to? Who's shaping the minds of your children or shaping your minds? That's what was going on in Corinth. The saints' minds were being shaped by others. 
It seems as if in Corinth there were people offering their services to instruct who were not inclined to follow Paul's instruction. And in this verse, we see that Paul is contrasting his relationship to the Corinthians as their spiritual father and that of the other teachers. Paul was the means of their conversion and the 10,000 instructors were not. That makes sense? Paul had a reason to love and to challenge them because they were his spiritual children. The other instructors out there, they weren't children of, of them, spiritual children. And, um, and that makes sense. You know, as a parent, uh, when other kids that are not your own, are you as interested in them as your own children, your flesh and blood? Not really. But boy, you sure have a concern for your own children. It's like a bear cub. If something happens with your children, you're going to be in there like Mama Bear and be on top of it. Right? Well, his relationship to those he had fathered through the gospel preceded the instructors and was more intimate and more tender. And that's the way it is with parents, too. It's more intimate and more tender, just as you heard from the children here. You know, hearing Nick, wasn't, that was an intimate message. It was tender. It was loving. And it brought tears to my eyes, Nick, because it's from the heart. And that only is going to happen with flesh and blood. And just like Paul, it was like flesh and blood. When he led someone to the Lord, it was like flesh and blood to him, spiritual children. That's why he was so concerned as a, as a parent. Spiritual parent. And Paul is saying, many offer to instruct you. They have no feeling for you. How can they? They're not your spiritual children. And he's saying, you stand in a relationship only that I can have. By the power and action of the Holy Spirit, I have begotten you. In verse 16, it says, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Imitate me. Very short verse, but man, it's power-packed when you start thinking about what does it mean to imitate? To follow like this other person. And Paul is urging the church to be imitators of me. If the church needed a model, a role model to follow, they needed not look any further than Paul because he was the model. He was a model for the church. He was a servant eager to do Christ's bidding. He was a man who walked in the footsteps of a despised, crucified Savior. He was a man of faith, believing on the promises of God and never wavering. Well, that's something about Paul when you see never wavers, man, he just keeps going. And through all of this, in all his writings, there's no complaint of fatigue. There's no whimpering at the hardships he suffered. No disappointment of having been crucified with Christ. No mention of any wasted years or lack of family, wealth, or fame. There was the simple joy for him of serving the Lord. That was his focus. That was his simple joy. That's what brought joy to his heart, was to follow the Lord. And one thing we see through Paul, too, you ever heard of the word stick to itisness? Stick to it. You don't hear that word too often today, do you? 
that's what Paul was like, man. It was like gum under the table. <laughs> it stuck. Never wavered. Kept pressing on, no matter the circumstances that were going on around him. He moved forward. Paul would not have the truth compromised or the cause of Christ endangered by any weak members of the church. And that's why he's addressing the Corinthians. He wants to see change. He wants to see them mature and grow to live a Christ-like life. And we see Paul, as a result of all this, you see, he was humble, self-denying, self-sacrificing. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's what you would expect to see in a father, spiritual father, a lover of the Lord. And as a parent here today, don't you do the same? Self-denying? You give up things? You sacrifice for your children? Don't you do that, parents? It's the way Paul was with his spiritual children. So Paul calls on the Corinthians to imitate him as he claims them for his children. And he lived for God eternity, seeking not his glory or his ease. And he wanted to remind the troublemakers, that they have different motives than he has. He's very clear on that. My motive is different. Now in verses 17, it says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. We see that Paul explains the reason why he's sending Timothy to remind them of his doctrines and to remind them of the manner of his life. Since he was hindered from not coming, he was sending his fellow laborer as his messenger. And Timothy, being so close to Paul, Timothy was well acquainted with Paul's ways. He was well acquainted with his views, his feelings, and what he might do if present. He knew exactly what Paul would do. It's wonderful when you have a person that you work with that knows you so well and imitates Christ and knows exactly what your moves are going to be. And that's the way it was with, with Timothy. Timothy imitated Paul. He was faithful in the word. He was faithful to the Lord. And he could be trusted. And Timothy knew how Paul would react in any situation he was faced with at the church at Corinth. So Paul knew what he was doing when he sent Timothy there. Because Timothy would root out the issues and challenge those believers in the church to change. He could trust Timothy. And because Paul cared and loved them as his own children, he desires to, them to imitate him because he can't come. But he's going to send Timothy now, who is the model for Christian life. You know, don't you need a good role model? You know, is there... Is there a Christian man or a Christian woman that you think of in your past that you see that just sticks out and models the life of Christ? I think we all know at least one person that just, you look, think of them and say, wow, I wish I could be like them. I want to be like them. They walk with Christ. They're faithful. And I want to be just like that. And then I like what Paul says here, too. He says, you know, my beloved and faithful child, he says this of Timothy, not only the object of my love, but my child, the one whom Paul led to 
the Lord through the gospel. And he was a faithful child in the Lord. And then in verse 18 and 19, he says, Now some of you are puffed up. Now that's a word you don't hear too often today. Puffed up. As though you were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up, but the power. You know, this puffed up is the attitude that the church was displaying. And um, we see that it reveals that there was a whole lot of talking in the church. And the talking was kind of like, well, Paul's never going to come here. Paul will never come here. We don't have to worry about him coming here to Corinth. Here, he writes stern letters and tries to scare us. But he will not be back. That's how they were puffed up. But Paul is like saying, be careful, warn the, warn the apostle, talk is cheap. When I do come... I want to see how much power these Christians have and not how much they talk. And here you're going to see actions speak louder than words. You know, isn't that what we always look for? The Lord says, you shall know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their actions. So the Corinthians were revealing who they really were Not by their words, but by their actions. Two different things. And we know that words without actions is empty. Actions without words are confusing. (laughs) And then he says, but I will come to you shortly. God being my helper, I fully purpose to visit you. And then I shall put those proud men to the proof. He will reveal what's really going on there. He will show them who they really are. He will expose them. In verse 20, it says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. That's the key. Not in word, but in power. The religion of the Lord Jesus Christ is not in word. In human eloquence, excellence of speech, or even in doctrines. But in power, by the mighty energy of the Holy Spirit. That's the power. The Holy Spirit, what does it do? The Holy Spirit in you. It enlightens you, doesn't it? Doesn't the Holy Spirit give you understanding of the Word of God? Does the Holy Spirit not give you conviction of sin? That's the power. It quickens, it converts, it sets apart the believers. And all the genuine apostles are enabled. And it's not in talk, but it's in power. You know, it's one thing to make loud boasts and claim great wisdom. It's quite another to live out the power of God. Totally different. And that's what Paul is challenging them. Are you living by the power of God? Are you saying one thing and doing another? Or are you living by the power of the Holy Spirit that is in you to live that Christ-like life? Now, if there's anyone in this room right now that's not a believer, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You cannot live by the power of God. It's impossible. It would be the most frustrating experience you ever experienced to try to live a Christ-like life without the Holy Spirit. It can't be done. It's impossible. But that's the power 
that every believer has in their life is the Holy Spirit in them to live by the power of God's word. And that's what Paul is going to speak to them about through Timothy. Paul is also saying, too, that they will see that power expressed in Paul's judgment if they do not repent. And it's important that they understand that. It's not Paul who brings the judgment. It's going to be through the power of God. It's going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit that will judge them. Now, Paul wraps up the chapter by tossing out a challenge to the church to bring pause, to bring reflection. That's what the Word of God should do to each one of you as you read the Word of God. It should bring pause in your mind. You know, what is God saying here? What is he saying to me? How does he want me to live? What does he want me to do? How does he want me to change? It says in verse 21, what do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and in the spirit of gentleness? Now, parents, you can relate to this. How many times have you warned your children that if they do a certain thing, let's say in the kitchen, there's a hot plate in the kitchen, and you warn your children, a practical warning, Tommy, don't touch the hot plate because it's hot and you're going to burn your hand. That's the practical. You see Johnny go over, Tommy go over, and their hand reaches up to that hot plate, starting to, and you warn them, uh, son, don't touch that hot plate because you're going to burn your hand and it's going to hurt for a long time. Well, that's the physical consequence that they burn their hand, isn't it? But then you have another situation where you say to little Johnny, Johnny, um, I don't want you to run out in the street because it's dangerous out there and there's cars that could hit you out there. So Johnny's out playing on his tricycle and he's running around and he forgets about mom being there and dad watching over. And Johnny wants to go on an adventure. And he goes out into the street. Well, it's interesting, but before he went outside, you said, Johnny, remember, you're not to go out in the street. And if you do, I will discipline you. And you tell him exactly what the discipline is going to be. But yet, Johnny goes out, rides out in the street. You go get Johnny, you bring them in. And as Paul, he says, you want me to come to the rod? I'll use a rod, and I will discipline you. Now, I know, parents, you'd rather train your child in a non-time of conflict, right? That non-time of conflict is in love in the spirit of gentleness. So that they might learn that way. But sometimes they have to learn the hard way. So that next time, in the spirit of love and gentleness, you remind them as a warning, remember what mom and dad said about you going out in the street. If you do this, this is going to happen. And then when Johnny's out there, comes to his memory and says, no, I don't want to go out there. They were very nice to me about this, and I don't want the rod. That's the way it was with Paul. He was going to bring discipline, and you know what? Paul, when he, he was going to take care of business there. And, of course, when you read in 2 Corinthians, you see business is taken care of in 2 Corinthians. And that's because of Paul's faithfulness 
is a challenge to the saints there to follow and imitate him. Be Christ-like, to live a godly life. So Paul wasn't afraid to go to Corinth, as his enemies imagined, but he was prepared to go there with authority. He was their spiritual father and ruler. He had the right and the ability to punish them. And it depended on them whether he appeared among them as a punisher or as a comforter. It was their choice. That's the way it is. You can relate to all this too, parents, because this is exactly the same way with your own children. There's no difference. So you see Paul's heart as a parent, spiritual parent. So he's going to either come as a comforter whether in the exercise of discipline or as a kind and tender parent. So here we get an insight to the heart of Paul. You also see, too, how it grieved him to have to write this way to his spiritual children. But he had to be faithful. He couldn't just let things go. Parents, you can relate to that, too, in raising your own children. You can't let things go. What happens? It gets out of control. Just as parents must warn and chasten their children, so spiritual fathers must warn and discipline the children of God that they love, people that they're concerned about. It's not an enjoyable experience, is it, Mom and Dad, when you have to chastise and admonish your children? It's not fun, is it? And your children don't look forward to it either. As Nick, you mentioned that. You weren't a good kid. <laughs> Those weren't fun times, were they? But now you can look back on it and smile. You can weep about it and say, you know what? My, my mom and dad, they disciplined me. And I know they did because I remember when you were knee high. I remember it all. I didn't forget. But you know what? You heard Nick say, even though all that discipline took place, did he love his mom and dad? Did you get a sense he had a big heart for his mom and dad? Did you, know, did you sense that? So see, discipline is good. It was good for Paul and the church. It was good for the church. You read in 2 Corinthians, you'll see the changes that take place because of it. It's amazing. But that's through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't because of some eloquent preacher behind the pulpit. Also here we see that the church must never be a church with a worldly attitude, exalting men and ministries. It's so dangerous today because you could turn on the TV, and I did this a few days ago. I could not believe the number of televangelists that are on cable. It's unbelievable to me. How did that happen? There's something wrong with that. Something wrong. And some of the messages that come out and spew out of the mouths of these individuals is appalling to me. And when I hear it, I say, Lord, come back quickly. <laughs> They're like the 10,000 instructors that Paul talked about. And we see, too, that the stewards and leaders of the church ministers the word. They sow the seed. They build the church up. They dispense the mysteries of God. And unfortunately, you see this more and more and more. The church today suffers shame before the world. While there's great responsibilities in the church, and only the sufficiency of God enables anyone to fulfill them. It's through his enabling. Only his enabling.
The most, most important for each of us in here today, let the Word of God be your source of truth. It is the source. And I love this verse, and I've, this verse has uh, gone around in my head ever since the day I got saved. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Do you believe that? I do. It's all there. Everything we need to know to live the life, to imitate Paul is in the Word of God. And be a student of the Word, like those of the church in Berea. And I love what it says here. They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Good, isn't it? So live out the word daily and prepare yourselves for heaven because that's what we're doing here today. We are preparing ourselves for heaven. Looking for the glorious hope in Jesus Christ our Lord and our Savior. That's why we're here today. We're preparing. And it's a daily, it's just not a Sunday thing, is it? It's every day. Every day. Father, as we are challenged by your word this morning, may we be imitators of Christ. May we be like the Apostle Paul and be faithful to live a life that brings joy to your heart. Lead us each day, Lord, each moment, through each trial, each challenge, and may we Step up to the challenges that face us every day. Through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, through the working of Christ in our life, and may we be a sweet aroma to you, Lord, each day. And we do pray this in Jesus' name.